Hey everyone, I'm Tom Harrison. And I'm Michael Williams. And welcome to Speaking Covidly, Empowering Talk in Turbulent Times. Hey Mike, how you doing? Hey Tom, I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you? Doing pretty good. Got to say, it's uh, it's an interesting time we're in right now, right? I mean, we started this podcast and we name it Speaking Covidly because of this era, it seems, of COVID, right, where this virus has been raging and it's taking different forms and now people are doing different things and who knows what's going to come out of this. Um, but now we're in a moment of... Um, and it's more than this, but in one big way, it, there's a nationwide, if not global, protest going on for for very good reasons. And yet, there's a there's a lot happening out of that, right? That um, is bringing up a lot of emotion in the country and posing a lot of questions, et cetera. And so, it just feels like we can't not address this on some level. We were talking earlier about how, where can we find purpose in all of this? And how does our purpose, how can it relate to what's going on now? Right, right, exactly. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been tough. I remember when, when, it, when it first, when this thing first came out, I, and I so funny, I, I mean, it's not funny, but what is funny about it is, uh, I, something probably came across my phone about, you know, another black man, another African American man was just, just murdered by the police. In fact, I think it was on the news. And then they were talking about, you know, the video is graphic. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I don't want to watch that video. So it took me a little while. It might have taken me a day or at least several hours before I actually watched the video. And then when I watched the video, it all pretty much brought me to tears. And then uh, things really started to light up as more and more people started to see this thing. So it's been, you know, pretty emotional and pretty tough the last few days. Um, because what people, what some people don't understand is even though I'm the kind of person very focused, I uh, tend not to look at or look for certain things unless it just you know, slaps me right in the face. I tend to focus on what I'm focused on. Um, but at the same time, and you and I have talked about this, there is this sense of a bit of fear, you know, just fear driving or driving into certain places or going into certain places. Um, how are people? How are people looking at me? Um, am I going to get stopped by the police? I've got to act differently, or you know, I've got to act. I have to make sure that I act a certain way with the police. Now, I shouldn't have to think that way. I'm a respectful person anyway, right? So, but now it's clear that hey, I have to act a certain way so that. I don't get yanked out of my car, so I don't get shot and so forth. And um, mm -hmm. so just just being an African-American black man, you, you 
for at least for some of us, you can you can you feel different. You feel that you're aware. Hmm. You know, I'm wondering. Maybe we've been assuming, or but maybe people don't know. You've just shared that you're a black man, African American man. I'm white. I don't know if people knew that or not. <laughs> no. you know, we don't care. I mean, we you know, we, it's not something we're consciously thinking about. I hope people know who we are. You know, right. um, that's not something we spend a lot of time talking about. And I think in many ways that's great, <laughs> right? That we're not feeling a need between us to be focused on race in any way. But I can say that has nothing to do with our friendship. When we became friends, I'm not naive enough to say I didn't notice. <laughs> right. right. That <laughs> I'm very pale compared to this guy. Damn. Um, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, this is, we have a very grounded, legitimate friendship. And at the same time, it's like something like this happened. And I, and I guess what I'm getting at is on one level, I feel like we really connect in so many similar ways, right? I really feel that that's true. I feel like we get each other. Do you think that's right? Am I just... Am I reading that into our relationship, think, or do you believe that? Yeah, too? yeah, I think you're just imagining that, Tom. No, <laughs> no. Well, just, just another white boy. Thinks, <laughs> just another white boy that thinks that he's no. Um, but well, two things. Absolutely, yes. I, I, I would have to say that you're probably, you know, I might have a couple of really, really good friends. You're absolutely, if not my best friend, you're, you know, amongst my best friends. You know, again, I probably talk to you more than I talk to anyone else. And so we connect on a level, on multiple levels. And uh, I was telling one of my clients today as we were talking about this whole thing, I said you and I one time actually talked for about 13 or 14 hours straight <laughs> Like, now you got to be really, you know, you got to really connect to do that and not get tired. In fact, remember, somebody had to come tell us to quiet down. We were still talking like four o'clock in the morning. We started three in the afternoon. And we subsequently had, you know, eight hour conversations, six hours, three hours, four hours. Your wife has to tell us to get off the phone with them. So, you know, just to say, yes, uh, we definitely connect and, and we've had some conversations about race and about yeah, how you yeah. were brought up and how I was brought up. I'd mm -hmm. love for you to share some of that because that's, that's really something interesting and special to hear, I think. <laughs> ah, yeah, you know, I was saying that in general, it's, it's, it doesn't color our conversations, but you're right. We've had, we definitely, because we talked about, I don't know if there's anything we haven't talked about yet, but we, mm -hmm. um, which is great. Um, but yeah, as far as my background, I'll try to be as brief as I can about this and still get the point across. Basically, I grew up in a, in a, let's just put it this way, a very bigoted environment. And hey, we all, we know that we are the product of our environment in many ways. Right, our conditions. There's a lot of what we talk about, you know, mindsets, habits, patterns. It starts with our conditioning, because let's face it, we didn't we didn't create ourselves. We were born into the world, <laughs> and born mm -hmm. into a family, and born into an environment, etc. 
Mm-hmm. And then at some point, hopefully, we take charge of our own life and we're able to get ourselves, either we were lucky enough that we had a good enough life that we can kind of stay on track for the most part or make mm-hmm. some minor adjustments, or we have to make radical adjustments. Or the third option is we end up just kind of careening through life in potentially very dangerous ways. And mm-hmm. so I grew up in an environment that, um, hey, you know, it was normal for me because that's the environment I grew up in. And this is just true for anybody, right? Whatever environment you grew up in, that's your, quote, normal, because that's what you know. It's just right. that simple. Good, bad, or indifferent. Right. And that's so important, I think, in this time, especially in times like these, to really realize that, that everybody's coming from their own place. And so I grew up in this environment, which it was, I'll admit, it was confusing because on the one hand, I have loving parents. Right. They clearly cared about me. Um. And so I saw that love. I saw the love of my relatives and friends. And then I also saw, because it was, it was embedded in it, is what I can call now, what I can clearly call now racism. But at the time, it wasn't that clear. And at the time, I remember I grew up in an environment where racism had a different, had, a, had its own definition. And this is part of mm-hmm. what we're seeing right now, is racism mm-hmm. is defined differently by different people. And that is clearly a problem because it's not, mm-hmm. it's not something that has multiple definitions. It is what it is. But that's how I grew up, right? So to give you an idea of what it looks like, it's kind of like a specific example. One example is when I were a good friend of mine at school. And of course, we were being bused then. And it was about a half hour away by bus if you just mm-hmm. took, took a straight trip by drive. And this friend of mine, he said, hey, I want to come visit you sometime. <laughs> like, cool, that'd be awesome. And he, I didn't think he came more of it. And I just, you know, I liked the guy. We were good friends at school, but we only saw each other at school, right? Mm-hmm. And so one day, he shows up on his bike. He mm. ridden his bike all the way from this other town. Wow. And yeah, so he shows up. And I'm like, I was so excited to see him. I'm like, dang, I can't believe you actually did it and everything, you know? And he said, yeah, I told you I was going to. I'm like, yeah, I didn't think you really would. And then he shows up there, and, and I was inv- inviting him in the house. And my dad, who, again, I love, and this, just, this is a reflection of his conditioning, he literally, honestly did not want to know what to do and just didn't let us in. I mean, it was a very awkward, awkward moment. Mm. And, but it was clear to me, and it was one of those things where I didn't, I can't say I fully understood it in that moment because I certainly didn't. I can't mm-hmm. remember how old I was, but I want to say 10, 11, 12-ish, you know, in that range. And, but what, I, what was clear is like, it was kind of like the, the gears turning in my head were like, oh, it's this thing that I've seen a few times in different ways that for some reason comes up with black people or people who are different than us, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, and I couldn't make sense of it, but it, I could see it was part of this bigger puzzle that I didn't understand. And so that's mm. just one example of something that made no sense. You know, thankfully, I mean, there was no violence or anything, but that's, that's a violence in itself. I can only imagine, especially as I look back on this, what he must have been thinking, right? Mm. Um, so 
so anyway, that's that's just one example of many. But it's something when I was a, here I am. I'm in I'm in I'm in full conditioning mode. Still living as a family. Still young. Still being impressed impressed every day with what's going on around me. Um, and then I have these moments away at school where I might meet someone who doesn't live anywhere in that, around me, right? And then and we make this connection, which is perfect, which is totally legitimate and totally innocent and natural. And then I get brought back into this world of, wait a minute, that's not okay, right? And so, I don't know, that's a, it's, I'll leave that there for now, but that's just one example of, of an experience I had growing up in that environment. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to say that I grew up, you know, like our neighborhood was all African-American, all black. Church I went to was all black. But the school I went to was in a predominantly probably Jewish and Italian neighborhood. Um, not the Italians from, from South Philadelphia. Many of them, unfortunately, were, or at least some of them, were connected with the mob. It's a whole different attitude, and I'll tell you why. Um, but so these Italians, they were, you know, pretty cool. But there was some separation there. But at school, I, I just got to say it. I don't remember. I don't remember really ex experiencing any any racism that I can recall. So growing up, I really didn't experience much until this one time. My godbrother and I was was riding our bikes <laughs> way out, probably. South Philly someplace, and we were just riding by this baseball field, and thank God there was this huge, really tall fence or gate. And all of a sudden, we heard, you know, baseball teams of Italians like, you effing, I'm going to say this word, mm. niggers, and I mean, and they started throwing balls and bats and bottles. That, that was the very, very first time I'd ever experienced anything like that. And I must have been you know, 12 or 13. I was like, what? And my godbrother said, man, we, we're in the wrong neighborhood. We've got to get... And thank God our chain didn't pop or something because we mm -hmm. were pedaling out of that place, man. And, that, and I was scared to death. I said, oh, my God, man, we could have gotten killed. Mm -hmm. um, fast forward... In college, I maybe experienced it once or twice that I can remember. Um, and then as an, as an adult later, uh, probably in the last few years, I experienced it at a restaurant. But it, but it hasn't been a lot. It hasn't been a lot. Now, my own mother, <laughs> she said, you better not bring a white girl home. <laughs> so, mm. so there was that on that side of it. And my wife is Filipino. And she was upset about that for a while. So, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes black folks are taught in a way, you know, don't, don't, don't mess with white people. Don't, you know, I mean, I've heard, I've heard people in my family say that, you know, or stuff like that. So, you know, we all have to deal with this, um, uh, in different ways. You know, growing up, some of us have, have been exposed to a lot more of it than others, but I think we're all facing it now, and I think it brings us to this question that you and I were talking about earlier, is what choice are we going to make at this time? And 
and this is where the calling comes out. I'll, you know, I'll just kind of let you share the question that you pose. What, what's going to be your choice at this particular time in history? Yeah, exactly. It was, it was interesting because earlier we were talking about, you know, this conversation we're having now. We're like, you know, should we, how do we bring this up in a positive light in a sense, right? And I was mentioning how it just dawned on me that, you know, you could, you could be very purposeful in your life, right? So let's just say for a moment, George Floyd um, was a very purposeful guy. Now, I don't know what he was up to, but it wouldn't have mattered in that moment because it wasn't about that. That wasn't right. what was going down. But what we're really talking about is what can we take out of this? Mm -hmm. Because on one level, if we get locked into the fear and the anger of how could this happen? And not only how could it happen, but how could it keep happening? And how is it we've let this happen for I mean, essentially hundreds of years in this mm -hmm. country. And so I get the anger and the frustration and I'm feeling it too. I can't possibly feel it. You know, earlier I was saying how I think we can, I get you in so many ways. And the one thing I can't 100% get is your experience being a black man, right? Mm -hmm. And you just shared some of it. But I would not be surprised if it, a significant part of why you haven't experienced it. I mean, you had that near tragic um, situation when you were younger, right? And then basically you said, you know, you've had issues and I don't want to belittle them, but you know, you know, it could have been a lot worse, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and at the same time, you and I both know that tomorrow, who knows, right? And that's part right. of the, that's part of, that's something you have to live with every single day. Mm -hmm. And, and, yeah, I've got to live with my whiteness every day, but I'm also very aware that the likelihood of something like that happening to me is slim. Mm, um, mm -hmm. And yet the fear in the white community, just like you were saying, you know, you grew up with certain things. Don't do this. with The <laughs> narrative in the white community was watch out for those black people as if the black people are the problem. And I think, mm -hmm. and I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent now, but it's making me realize in a big way, I think what we're seeing happening overarching is a deep, deep guilt and shame in the white community, whether, you realize, whether we realize it or not, because it's so entrenched. It's so entrenched that there's this fear of reprisal, this fear of revenge for the way people of color have been treated since this you know, since I'm getting ready to say that this country began, but we all, you know, including the people who were here before this country began, this quote country began, right? So it goes deep, right? We know that yeah. the people who lived here in this country before, uh, you know, Europeans came over and made it theirs. Uh, that was the first, <laughs> the first wave of uh, massive discrimination, right? Mm -hmm. And then slavery, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of shame and guilt that that's really goes deep. And so there's a fear that's just built in, I think, with a lot of people who are white, whether they realize it or not, that, uh-oh, what if there's revenge? And maybe some of that's happening right now. I don't know. 
But to get back yeah. to a more positive note, but all of this is real, right? So I want to just presence it. Mm-hmm. So what we talked about is like, okay, you know, like what I just said. Now, we could take that thread and say, okay, let's legitimize all of the stuff that's going on, all the destruction, all the damage, all the violence, because it's, it's you know, high time that happened, and that's just the way it is. And maybe that's the truth for some people. But I think there's also another way we can look at it, which is, is what is what might be a higher purpose you could take from what's happening right now that could actually help to really change the systems and structures that have brought us to this place. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, that's where I think each person, you know, like you were saying when we were talking earlier, um, each person can ask themselves, okay, given what is happening, uh, what am I, what am I called to do right now? You know, one thing we're probably all called to do is to take a look at our, at our own attitudes and beliefs about other people. Um, what am I called to do to contribute to the change that needs to take place on a personal level, on a familial level, on a local level, and on a national level? Like President Obama said, vote. I mean, it's great to say, oh, that's a shame, and you know, but get out and vote. I think people are a lot, I know I am, a lot more aware and awoken about like what's really going on and how things really work since COVID I've become so much more aware and now this and there's still people just on a little side note um, there's at least three cases of people <laughs> calling like there's been yeah I think two to three cases of people calling the police making false claims about black people. The one in the park, the lady mm-hmm. in the park says he, she said she was going to call the police or something or whatever that he was um, going to attack her or he was, you know, being aggressive or assertive. Right? There's that lady. I just read there's another lady who called the police on a black woman and said that 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 she assaulted her and then there was a, a white guy in a in a, a office building who called the police on some black gentleman who had an office there or something <laughs> so and this is just like within the last week or two so there's still a bunch and then they're showing police officers still doing things um so this is something that uh, we need to stay on top of, um, you know, until things are changed institutionally and systemically, right? We need, there's some things that we need to stay on top of. Obviously, we don't want this violence to continue to go on, but I believe uh, the protests need to continue until some systems and processes and processes are put into place that be actually begin to start changing some you know leadership 
and laws because otherwise it'll get like we said it'll get swept under the carpet again people in power don't want to give up power none of us really like to change so we've all got to change and there's got to be some shifts and expansions in power and that's only going to happen uh when people really start to listen to all of our voices i've been so proud to see this is a multicultural multi racial mm -hmm. multi-generational thing yeah oh, i so agree with that yeah that's that's really beautiful to see right when you look at the protests and all the people that are out there right and you um Gosh, it's interesting. There's just so many different dimensions to this, right? On one level, something I was reflecting on the other day is, you know, somebody was coming and, you know, there's a lot of commenting on the chaos, right? And on one very simple level, how can we expect to not see chaos in the streets when our leadership is in chaos, right? Mm -hmm. When the leadership of this country is the very definition of chaos. But even mm -hmm. worse, it's self-serving, narcissistic chaos. Of course, we're going to see that reflected. And mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, you know, writ large, right? I mean, so on, on, in many ways, there are some things going on that are probably just opportunists, right? In other words, people who are criminals anyway, or they're right. agitators anyway, or they right. just, you know, whatever. In other words... They're just taking advantage of this to create trouble. There's that mm -hmm. element, right? Now, exactly. there's other people, right? And there's other people who, who have a firm belief, who actually are protesters, but they have this belief that they need to destroy because that's, I mean, there are lots of ways. I don't want to pretend like I know all the reasons, but one, mm. one reason might be because they see that you literally have to tear down the structures. But at the heart of this, the people who really, really care about what's going on, they're making a, very, a, a clear point that I keep hearing that I think is so, so important, and it's very important for me to remember as a white person, and something I, I need to make much more a fabric of who I am, is the realization that we were talking about earlier that the very reality that you, Mike, are black every day and I'm white every day means something very different in this society. And that right mm -hmm. there is a problem, right? The fact that you may be treated differently than me, that's the theme that I keep hearing so strongly is that on one level to white people say, you know, you're white all the time and that's working out pretty well for you overall. <laughs> you got a lot of opportunity, and if it's not, then it's, you know, it's not the fault of the system because the system is clearly working in favor of people who are white and even more so if you're white and you're, you have power and you have money and it's not working out so well for everybody else. You know, something that I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember this, but this is something I struggled with. I want to say two things. One thing I want to say about the police a little later but I want to say this because it's more relevant to what we're talking about now. Um, when I started my business, I struggled. And I know I told you about this was putting my face on the website. Mm -hmm. And I, I had my picture up there. I took it down. I mean, I built my business on videos, which, of course, you know, I still didn't have to have my face. But um, 
I love to speak on videos, so I built my whole business on videos. But the thing I struggled with a lot for many years was, do I put my face up there? Because, you know, probably many of the people who are going to embrace this and pay me what I believe this is worth, you know, might not be African-Americans. They're probably going to be uh, Caucasians. Now, of course, that was an assumption that I was making because I looked at all the other coaches, like 98% of the coaches that were in the programs with us, <laughs> most of them were white. And the people mm -hmm. they were serving, most of them were white. So I wasn't just making this up. I was just looking at all the coaches that I was around that was in the program that were paying for programs. Most of them were white. So I was like, okay, more than likely people who will pay for the service will probably be white. And if they see me, you know, is that going to prevent them or slow them or something? So fast forward, I worked my way through that. And what ended up happening, and on the one part, it's magnificent, it's fantastic. On the other part, it's kind of a shame. Here's why it's fantastic. Much of my market has come from other parts of the world. They've been Indian, they've been uh, Asian, they've been African, they've been people from the Middle East. Those are the people who have built my business. If it weren't for them, I literally would not be in business. Many of my clients now are not from the U.S. They're not Caucasian, right? Now, as my expertise has risen, as I've gotten better and gotten more well-known, of course, I've gotten more Caucasian people, people, even people from the UK, Australia, from the US. But percentage-wise, if you look at all the clients I've had over the last eight years, I mean, I bet I could count on one or two hands how many white folks have used my services. And I'm one of the best in the world. How do I know that? Because people come to me from all over the world. They, they could choose anyone. They come to me. There's only a small percentage. Now, I know that one th they say 1% of the world's population stutters. So that means 1% of white people stutter, 1%, right? So why is it no, that I have... No, white people don't do that. Don't, we, don't, we don't stutter. White people don't do that. <laughs> white people, white people don't, don't So that has made me think, okay, look, here I am, one of the top folks in the world doing what I do, but only a, I mean, a fraction, a minuscule fraction of people from my own country, of white folks, are actually using this exceptional service. And the ones who do, the ones who have used my service, many of them have been very, very wealthy, multimillionaires, business owners, and they're like, I chose you because I can relate to you, you cut through the BS, you tell the truth, this thing works. So I'm saying all that just to say that I felt it in my business, whether or not, I know there's more factors. I know it's not blatant racism or discriminant. That's not the whole picture of it. But this is just my experience that I'm sharing with you guys. And the numbers kind of bear some of this out. I'll say, and then later I'll say something about the police. But I just wanted to share that because that's a very real experience for me. 
Yeah, yeah, I know we've we've talked about that a number of times, and it's, now that, like you said, the on one level, it's it's beautiful, right? You you maybe have maybe you're opened up a whole audience that maybe you wouldn't have even thought of, <laughs> you know, globally, right? Um, and yet it is there's a, a deep irony there, right? And uh, now. What I'm hopeful for is that that will continue to change. Like you said, as people experience your work with them, that that, that will change with time. But it's um, but yeah, it's, it, your experience in business, even though thankfully it hasn't been, you know, the experience you just shared hasn't been like a violent reaction against you. Thankfully, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in a sense, it it paints the same picture. That makes no sense. You know, I was reading something that a, um, a black law enforcement agent who had been in, in the work for 40 years, somebody asked him, what do, you, what do you tell somebody to avoid getting arrested, like if they're stopped, you know, or, you know, to avoid being harassed if they're stopped in their car? And he said, you know, put your hands on the wheel, be cooperative, et cetera, et cetera. You know, just normal common sense things. But then he said, yeah, but what if we're doing that and they still harass us? What can you say? That shouldn't happen. Right. That obviously mm-hmm. shouldn't happen. And, you know, we're hearing about all the time, like you just with your own examples. And it doesn't matter their stature. It doesn't matter how important they are, how much success mm-hmm. they've had. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're a person of color, you're there's still a potential that you're going to be treated in a way that just would not happen otherwise. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I'm sure, like anything else, there's examples where no matter what color you are, even if you're white, and it's another white person, you know, you're, you might be treated badly, but that's for sure the exception. That's not systemic, right? That's where we can say that was just a bad example, a bad cop, right? Mm-hmm. But we know that it's systemic for people of color. And so we know this is something we got to keep working on. And for me, like I said earlier, I'm realizing that keep working on means this becomes like, how do I? So looking at my own purpose and my own meaning for being here. How do I make sure that I am really inclusive in that and that I'm fully aware that there is really built-in prejudices? I gave a tiny glimpse into my past, and there's a lot more baggage there, right? There's a lot more baggage, and there's plenty of people I know that I've basically cut myself off from. I had to make a choice point, and I realized I don't want to keep going down that road. And there's Mm. people... For example, that I grew up with who still believe that the freaking civil war is going on. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But I'm realizing now that I, I, it really has to be even more built into who I am. Keep that awareness. There are deeply embedded injustices, and I can't just allow myself to gloss over them in the day-to-day and just think, oh, you know, why do these people keep griping, right? Or, you know, gosh, you know, it's just a few bad cops or what? Because it's so easy to fall into that trap. That it's just a few bad cops or this, you know, and the truth is it runs deeper. And so we all are here we are in this place where it would be wonderful if everything just changed overnight. That probably won't happen. And we can all hopefully find a place of purpose in this now that if nothing else kind of up levels the purpose we have now. It's a great time. It's a great opportunity to, to ask ourselves, what is my purpose? And how can I 
how can I learn from what's happening now to make my purpose even more meaningful and even actually have a positive impact for systemic change? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'll just say this, um, that uh, people in, in minority communities um, need more, more positive examples. So to the degree, and this is something I've been terrible about, um, to the degree that we can present, uh, especially our African-American men, but, you know, minorities, uh, with positive examples, uh, not just athletes and musicians, which is great. Those are options, but also going into business for yourself, going to school, you know, doing something constructive. It's not going to be easy. Unfortunately, because of the system, you may have to work X number of times harder than your counterpart who might be doing the same thing. That I'm not saying that is true. I'm saying that that may be true. But yet and still, those are the kinds of things that we can do as individuals. We can present better examples. We can try to make better choices, understanding that it may be more difficult, that doors may be closed in our face, unfortunately. But sometimes, I mean, if I've seen and heard this happen, and I'm pretty sure it's happened to me too. When you, you're trying to do what's right, and the band just keep the doors just keep getting slammed in your face, and, you, and it just sucks all the strength out of you. And then you're just like, okay, I'm just going to do what everybody else is doing around me. That's unfortunate. Um, but it, in a sense, it's a choice. It's a choice, and it's not a choice, but it's a choice. Uh, so there's that, and there is the work that we all must do to change the systems and institutions because, you know, I shouldn't have to now think and have a very specific strategy about what to do when I'm around police or when I'm stopped. I need to make sure that I act this way so I don't get harassed or shot or something, you know. So there's that whole thing. Um, that obviously has to change our the leadership has to change, so forth and so on. But what I wanted to say about the police is that we also have to understand that they have to deal with the stuff that you and I don't have to deal with. They have to deal with people. And I've seen them and I've met them and I've met people who are just belligerent. They hate the police, maybe for good reasons. Some of them are criminals, like the people that you see breaking the store. Some of them are criminals. They have criminal minds. Maybe they're a product of their environment, right? But they have criminal minds. That's what they want to do. They're, you know, and these are not just black folks and talking about black, white, Hispanic, whatever. And that's, that's their job. Their job is to be a criminal. It's to do whatever. And police have to deal with that stuff. They have to investigate. They have to chase them down. They have to arrest them. They have to wonder, am I going to get shot? Am I going to get killed? There's people. So they have to deal with the stuff that, so that you and I don't have to deal with it. And we have to understand, if you're dealing with that stuff every day, unfortunately, but the reality is it's, go it's going to impact you. 
know, how you handle it is something totally different, right? And that's, that's what we need to look at is how our officers are being recruited, right? Recruiting as best as we can the right officers, uh, they need psychological tests and temperament and so forth. And then the proper training and then creating an, an environment and an atmosphere and ethos that, that holds them accountable and doesn't support certain kinds of actions and understanding the kinds of pressures and things that they have to deal with that you and I just don't know about. Right. So it's, it's not a either or it's an and. Yeah. You know, we can point to, again, like the bad cop. We see the flaw in that. I was listening to an officer the other day talking about, again, a career police officer who was talking about one of the big problems that you were speaking to just then is in the intake of police officers focus, even even when there's not, you know, a blatant problem with that department, right? We've seen there where certain departments, certain divisions like Minneapolis, where there's been these issues over the years, right? Where even if it's not that that egregious, where just in general the you know it's like it's all about law enforcement, but it's not looking at the depth of it, right? It's not looking at how people impact that, how color impacts that, how race impacts that, right? It's just looking more, for example, for skill sets, and it can't just be physical skill sets like how good do you shoot a gun, how good is your vision, how fast can you run, <laughs> right? How quickly do you learn all that? It's that intake of officers must include, like you said, these other qualities that are so critically, critically important. And of course, there has to be much, much better, just in general, accountability to that, right? Because I'm sure we've all, all of us, if not most of us, have seen things about this officer that was arrested. You know, the hopefully they're all if they haven't already been, hopefully they'll all four be arrested, but the one who had the knee on the neck that was so blatant and so egregious, you know, the guy had a record, right? Mm -hmm. And so it begs mm -hmm. the question, why did it take this long to let him go? So my only answer to that without knowing more, the first thing that comes to mind is that sounds like a systemic problem to me, right? Mm -hmm. If he hasn't been let go. And so right. there are, the beauty of this is there are solutions. There are solutions, and they can happen. And what I'm encouraged by, and I'd love to hear if you agree with me, right, is I feel, I feel pretty sure, and I'll admit I want to believe this, so I hope it's not I'm just like, you know, wishing something that maybe isn't true, but I, I really believe and want to believe that most people want this corrected. Even if we're clumsy, like for the white people, even if they're clumsy in how we articulate it and we're still, there's still, you know, racism kind of in our veins just because of our conditioning and, you know, we don't totally get it. Um, you know, the fact that we're not black, right? And the fact we, we grew up in this world too and we're all being affected by the systems, right? In, in a very real way, not to condone this at all, but a lot of the power structures People of all colors have bought into a lot of the power structures, mm -hmm. right? We can complain about them, but let's also realize we're all participating in this system mm -hmm. because it's the fabric, right? So unless you're, unless you've totally 
um, unless you're totally off the grid and you're not, you know, you're not consuming anything and you're, everything you do is on your own and you demonstrate true love for every human being, you know, and you're basically a saint, <laughs> then <laughs> the truth is you're part of the system. Now, what you can say is you didn't create the system and the, or none of us created the original system because all of those people are dead. Mm-hmm. What is true is there are a lot of people who are taking conscious advantage of that system. Right. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, right. there's a whole lot more people who are still taking advantage of the system, just not as consciously. So complicated. It's so complex. And so it's going to be helpful in many ways for us to kind of step back and just be try to be honest, as honest as we can about how complicit we are with the system, whether we want to be or not. Just to notice it, not as a judgment, mm-hmm. just to notice, because I think I think that's going to help all of us find our way, find our purpose. Uh, I know for me, it's feeling into this and drawing the parallels between what's happening now and many of my experiences in my youth, looking at the relationships I've had with people, looking at how I have changed myself, because I have changed a lot from that time. And I, like I said before, I could have taken a very, very different course, and I'm so glad I didn't. And I still have lots of work to do on myself. But I am hopeful that people will find purpose in this. We're having conversations about this that have been long needed, right? Conversations are coming to the surface that have been there for a long time, but now they're, you know, we're getting, rather than just one day of these conversations because of one thing that happened. And you said this earlier, Mike, that, you know, these protests need to continue until something really happens. The fact that this has gone on for over a week now, it's allowed the conversation to begin to extend. And now, remember, we we went from a a time when every day the coverage was almost 100% COVID. And -hmm. even though it's going to probably come back to that, and it's still a big part of it, there's something very powerful, and we all know it, about getting in the conversation and staying in the conversation. And I guess that's really a simpler, easier way of saying what I was trying to say before is I want to commit to staying in the conversation and seeking to make a difference as we move forward. Yeah. One thing that you said that, I, and then I'll, I think this will be my last comment anyway, unless you say something else really brilliant <laughs> that I can't not say something. But the, com- the complicity, right? That, w- that one way that it's clear, pretty clear to me anyway, of how people are being complicit is in the way we vote, okay? And in the silence that some parties are having, right? That some parties are just not saying anything and people vote for certain people that perpetuate this kind of an environment and mindset and perpetuates this particular system and institution. Not 100%, obviously, there's no one party that does this completely. That's that's very clear as well. Mm -hmm. But what we do know, for example, we all know that President Obama is not perfect. No president is. People would say, oh, well, he did this, and he did that, and he did Of course, he did this, he did that. Every other president did this and did that. But what (laughs) we can say, (laughs) is that 
he put some stuff in place to address this and many other things that our current president came in and just liter literally consciously undid like on just undid stuff where there was you can go from covid to you know policing the police there were committees there were things put in place to address that uh our current president came in and undid those things right <laughs> so which which leaves us now with okay so now what do we do with the pandemic? Well, there was something in place that you just undid. What do we do about the police? Well, there was something in place that you just undid, right? So when we vote, it's a way of us supporting or being complicit in some of the things that's going on. So I hope, I don't know who's going to hear this, but I hope that we all understand that it doesn't matter the party. What matters is that our vote actually counts. Right, and it can make a big difference in who we're supporting. And I'll just stop with that. Amen to that, brother. And I'll just end with this. I love how so often Barack Obama would speak to this idea, this ideal in our Constitution of the United States of a more perfect union, working together to bring forth a more perfect union. Amen to that. All right, brother. Well, thank you, brother. Talk to All you right, Hey, everyone. So if you want to learn about what I'm up to, if you'd like to learn about being on purpose, check me out. I'm Tom Harrison, T-H-O-M Harrison. You can find me at walkyourwhy.com. All about being yourself, living your vision, and what I like to call loving the world with your work. Thanks, Tom. And I am Michael Williams, and I want to help you say what you want to say smoothly, clearly, and confidently so that when you speak, people listen. They want to listen. And you can check me out at thesmoothspeechsystem.com. We'll see you there. Take care.